Read to you now from the twelfth chapter of the letter to the Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Your name is Moses, for you have been drawn out of water. Present your body as a living sacrifice, for you are a member of the body of Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I'll call you Peter, because you're the rock on which I will build my church. In each of our readings this morning, we have heard identities proclaimed, professed, named, each identity directly tied to God. It was God who inspired the women to save those boys in Egypt, most notably Moses. It is God who draws us together into one body and pours gifts into our lives. It was God who revealed Jesus' true identity to Simon, now Peter, and God in Christ, who claimed and renamed that same Peter. Your true identity is the one given by God. Your true identity does not come from your job, your surname, your bank account, your address. It is not given by the psychologists at the advertising agencies. Your true identity comes from God. Paul knew this. He wanted Jesus' followers to know this, to live this. It's what's behind his easier said than done teaching, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. My mind needs renewing frequently. Sometimes it's because I think too highly of myself than I ought. But more often it's because I think too lowly. I began to think 
more like the world than like Christ, particularly about myself. Rather than embrace who I am as uniquely gifted, peculiarly made in God's image, I start to think of who I am not and what I am not in relation to others. I also have this bad habit of thinking what I think you think about who I am not. Did you follow that? I sometimes see how other pastors are. That pastor is dynamic. That pastor is caring. That pastor is spiritual. That pastor is outgoing. And I start to think, well, I am not those ways. I wish I were more like them. I can do the same with regular non-pastor dudes, too. He's rich. He's good-looking. He's funny. He's handy. I read a book this summer that really spoke to me. It's called Quiet. I was reading it at the beach, and my family noticed the title, and they started trying to tiptoe around me while I was reading it, which was comical in a house with four children, ten and under, under the same roof. The book of Quiet is not about silence. It's about honoring the gifts of quiet people. The subtitle is The Power of Introverts in a World that Can't Stop Talking. Susan Cain, the author, writes about the rise of celebrated extroversion. Until a hundred years ago, quiet people were often the admired ones. Think of your grandfather, who rarely said anything, but when he did, every word seemed wise and powerful. He could say without raising his voice, I'm disappointed in you. And it would have far more effect than 100 outwardly emotional fits. As extroversion became the ideal in our country, you know how to win friends and influence people. Introverts began to seem unusual, mysterious, or boring. Assumptions were made. I guess he doesn't want any friends. Or I suppose she prefers a book to fun. The truth is, he wants real friends. Deep and lasting friendships. He doesn't need many, but he does need that core. The truth is, she forges relationships around an idea. Something she's interested in is what she's researching in that book she's reading. And it's that common interest that leads to her friendships, that leads to the fun she enjoys having. What the introvert needs, in the end, is exactly the same thing as what the extrovert needs, permission to be him or herself. Something that struck me in this book, Quiet, is that extroverts and introverts can really get along quite well because in the end they need each other. Extroverts need someone to listen and introverts need someone to talk. It works well. The problems arise 
as always, when one puts his need over the need of the other, when he assumes his way is the right way to be. That isn't that different than what Paul is arguing here in Romans or what he's argued in 1 Corinthians. Don't be so worldly, he says, as to think there is one best type of person that's conforming to the world. If we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, we realize that God has made us differently. And for good reason. We don't all win friends and influence people the same ways. We are many, with many different gifts and personalities. But here's the tricky part. We, though many, are also one. We, though many, with our peculiar ways, are part of the one body of Christ, recognizing that we all have gifts to bring and personalities to offer that complement the ministry. If all were talkers, where would the listening be? If all were meditative, where would the action be? If all were students, who would the teachers be? If all were serious, who would make us laugh? One year I made a New Year's resolution to laugh more. Now there is an introvert's resolution. Through my introspection, I recognize that I am overly serious and I resolve to laugh more. I'm grateful for the people who help me laugh. Help me take myself and the world less seriously. And I notice that I laugh the most, or more importantly, that I am at my most joyful when I'm good with who I am and my little unique-to-me portion of the body of Christ, when I don't wish I was more like someone else. Marva Dawn has noted in her book about Romans, about the passage we read today, that when Paul says the compassionate serves in cheerfulness, the word for cheerfulness could well be translated hilarity. It's a form of joy that allows us to show mercy for God's sake because we're comfortable with who God has made us to be for God's sake. She writes, Hilarity takes possession of our beings, enables them always to be growing toward greater wholeness, and springs out of us as a fountain of life reaching out to others. Hilarity is the freedom to truly be ourselves. By which she surely means to truly be who God has created us to be. Moses was saved from the water and raised as an Egyptian monarch. When he knew that wasn't who God created him to be, he left and became a shepherd. While tending sheep, he was given a new identity, liberating leader. Not me, Moses said. I'm inarticulate. 
I stutter. I can't speak. So I can't lead. I'm better with sheep. Good, God said. That's what I need. Someone to lead my sheep. And Moses, 80 years old, mind you, finally found who he was intended to be. Paul was first called Saul. And Saul was brutally faithful to a strict interpretation of the law of Moses. He watched approvingly the stoning of Stephen. He breathed threats and murders against Jesus' disciples. And then he met Jesus. And he received a new identity. Paul, and a new purpose, making disciples for Jesus Christ. And Paul became who he was intended to be. Simon was a fisherman, doing the work the men of Galilee had done forever. Jesus invited him to follow, and he went. He went and began to know something about Jesus, later he correctly identified Jesus. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And in identifying Jesus, he received his new identity. You are Peter, the rock. And Peter became who he was intended to be, even if at times he forgot. What each of these men came to know some days better than others is that God gifted them in a particular way for a particular purpose. Moses to lead, Paul to transform, Peter to proclaim. They eventually became who they were intended to be. And now, it's our turn. When we, like Peter, have come to know Jesus' identity... We can be more secure in being who we were intended to be. When we recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, we don't have to be the Messiah. We're the Messiah's followers. His one body made of many parts. Many unique, peculiar, redeemed God made parts, each of us free to be who we were created to be in our own weird, hilarious, faithful ways. And that is something to laugh about. Thanks be to God. Amen.